Hey, community of faith, Pastor Mark here. Glad to be back with you. Laura and I have been out for a few weeks caring for her mother who's in Colorado. She's doing really well. Thanks for the prayers. I have really missed you while we've been gone. And uh, maybe you haven't missed me quite as much because you've had Wes. He's been incredible. I've been watching those messages and God's just been speaking to me. But I just wanted to talk to you for a few minutes today because... I've been praying a lot about the church. You know, this pandemic thing has really done all kinds of things in all of our personal lives. But in the life of the church, it's been uh, really, it's really rocked the boat, hasn't it? And I said, God, what are you doing? I'm trying to figure out what you're doing in the midst of all of this. And I just feel like while I was away and had a little bit of time to, to really get alone with God, that he really spoke to me about this. And as we're going through this book of Joshua, uh, we come to the story of Caleb, and in the story of Caleb, God really pulled some things out for me and spoke to me about what he wants to do, even with our church, with community of faith, and why this pandemic and all that's going on. You know God's sovereign, right? Sovereign means that he knows what he's doing, that he's in charge, and I've been kind of asking him, God, are you sure you're in charge? I mean, what, what are you doing? Things are rocking along really well, and then all of a sudden everything's just shut down. Some of you are feeling that in your personal lives, in your businesses. So I was asking God, you know, what, what's going on? And in, the, in this story of Caleb that we're going to see this morning, we're going to find out that Caleb, amazingly, had been going through some of the same things. The other thing I wanted to tell you is while I was out, I made the most amazing discovery. I discovered the next communication tool that's going to shake up, I think, probably the whole world. And it's, I mean, if you have money to invest, you're probably going to want to invest in this because this is going to change the face of communication. Are you ready? I, I found this while we were out and um, here, here it is. It's called a typewriter. I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that before, but, uh, oh, you have? Yeah. It really did change the face of the world in 1860. Now, that's been a while. Some of you, only a couple of us were around in 1860 to remember when that thing came out. But here's the thing. It changed the face of communication. It changed the face of the globe in a lot of ways because everyone was, you know, pinning, using cursive uh, teenagers cursive what the, it's a kind of writing you know that we used to use back in the old days and and so this changed everything at that time but you know what if someone after the typewriter came out said we're done I mean that is great we are done we're finished this is the best thing that you know since sliced bread which they didn't really have sliced bread in 1860 I don't think but um, you know it's the best thing ever and we're just finished. We're going to just stop here. Let's just, can you imagine if they would have said, we're done? But somebody said, we're not finished yet. We're not done yet. We're, we're, we've got more to do. And so they, they went on. And eventually, some many years later, at least four or five after 1860, this came out. It's the electric typewriter. Laura used this in college in uh, 1870. No, it wasn't then. It was uh, just a, in college 10 years ago, right, Laura? Um, here's the thing. It was amazing. It's electric. The thing that we loved about it, if you were alive in those days, 
was that you could actually go back and erase if you made a mistake. You could punch those letters back in, you know, and go back and it would it would erase the letter. It would erase your mistakes. And and that was huge. And so what if after this was done, you know, somewhere this is probably like in the 80s, you know, early 80s, late 70s. Um, they said, hey, we're done. That was great. You can't really get any better than an electric typewriter. But someone said, we're not done yet. We're not finished yet. We, we've got more to do. And you know what happens. It just keeps on going, keeps on going till we get down to this, which is, you know, the personal computer. Amazing. Crazy. This is what we're using. Now it's changed the face of the planet again. The Internet and all the things that that come with that. But, you know, I've heard some people lately saying, hey, we're not done yet. Something's still on the horizon. Something's coming that we can't even really probably wrap our minds around yet. Did you know that in 1850, I mean, before 1950, not 1850, 1950, that if you got one of these little cards um, in the mail recently, there's more computing power in this little card than was on the face of the planet in 1950. Did you know that? I mean, things have changed. People keep saying, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. What about the church? You know, I was asking God, I said, God, I don't, I don't understand what you're doing. I mean, I felt like that we had some things going. And can I just be really blunt with you? God kind of spoke to me pretty pretty sternly he said basically in my spirit I got the the understanding I love community of faith I, I love what you've allowed me to do here church community of faith I, I love but it's 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 kind of come to this place where we've kind of just started to, to sit around a little bit it happens in all institutions where we kind of just say, hey, this is amazing. This is awesome. Let's, and we just kind of sit down on our laurels, you know. We just kind of sit down and say, hey, it's going good. And God's going, hey, I'm not done yet. Now, it's easy, I think, for a lot of us to say, hey, we're done. Look at that. We got, we got the building now. We've got, we just keep on doing all the And God's going, hey, I'm not done yet. In fact, I'm going to allow something to come in to this church that so disrupts it that it can't even meet in the building anymore. Thus, the pandemic. What is God up to? What is he doing? Let's talk a little bit about that. We see this in the life of Caleb. I want you to see some things about Caleb in the book of Joshua. You know, he's, the, he's kind of the less celebrated friend of Joshua, right? You hear Joshua and Caleb, if you've heard very much uh, about the Old Testament, which you might not have. But there's only 30 verses in the Bible about Caleb. But those 30 verses leave us a, a legacy that's so powerful that if we really get this today, it's going to change our lives. In 30 verses, six times, Almighty God gives us the secret of Caleb's life. Now, I don't know if you know much about the Bible, but it, it, let me tell you something. If God says something twice in the Bible, 
you need to sit up and take notice. I mean, because he doesn't repeat himself very often in the Bible. But if he says it twice, take notice. He says this six times in 30 verses. And I think it's something that, I mean, you might want to run, go get a piece of paper or something and write this down. You don't want to forget this. Caleb, he was one of the guys that, uh, he, he was one of the spies that was sent in when the people of Israel left and went to, from Egypt to the promised land. And remember, they sent the spies in and it didn't work out all that well. Let me just read you the verses. Uh, this is most of the verses about Caleb right here in Joshua 14, 6 through 14. There's a few others in Deuteronomy, in Numbers, but listen to this. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him. Now, this is interesting right off the bat because Caleb, I didn't, I always thought Caleb was a Jewish guy. He's not a Jewish guy. Did you know that? He's an Edomite. He's a, he's a Gentile. He's a, a, a Kenizzite. Did you know that? He, he was adopted into a family, probably. They did that a lot in uh, Israel. They, somebody adopted him. Caleb, the word means dog. He, his name was Dog. Caleb the bounty hunter. You know, it's like dog. And he just, he, his name probably indicates that he was just like a street urchin. His dad or somebody said, hey, call him dog. And uh, his dad was Jephunneh the Kenizzite. I don't know if, if Caleb ever even knew him. But it goes on to say about him. I mean, so he didn't start out very auspiciously, did he? He says this, he says, Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to Joshua, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. He's talking to Joshua. Kadesh Barnea was the place that they went in 45 years before as spies. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my, my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. <clears throat> I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And that's the phrase, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Six times it says that about Caleb. Here in Joshua, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, some of the times God says that. Caleb, my servant who follows me wholeheartedly. That's a pretty big deal. We're going to Dig into that just a little bit. He says, so on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord has promised, he's kept me alive 45 years since that time when he said to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country. See, they had come to this beautiful hill country. It's not much to look at today if you go over to the land of Israel, but back in this day, it was, it was beautiful. It had a little forest on it. It was called Hebron. It was this little mountain that was a, a forested mountain that was beautiful, had little streams. It was actually where Abraham was buried where a lot of the, the patriarchs had been buried. And he says, give me that. That's, that's where he went and spied out. He's the one 
that spied out this part of the land. And he came back to give the reports. You heard yourself, he goes on to say, that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Who are the Anakites? They were the giants. Some hundreds of years before, uh, there was this group of people that came in that were giant. I mean, they, Goliath was a descendant of these guys that fought David. Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. Now, I, I imagine if they'd had the NBA back then, he'd have really been something, right? He was about as tall as, I mean, his head almost would have hit the, the rim of the basket. Nine feet, nine inches tall. All of these guys were huge. The, the, this one guy that talks about Og, it says that he had a bed that was 12 feet long. And anyway, that's who lived there. The giants lived there. And Joshua, uh, jo Caleb says to Joshua, give me this mountain. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since. Why? Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. So we see three quick things about Caleb. Caleb, first of all, he looks back to what God brought him through. God brought him through some stuff, didn't he? I mean... He comes back with the other 11 of the spies and only he and Joshua say, hey, we can take the land. You know what the rest of them say? It, they make the people's heart melt with fear. They say, you know what? We can't do it. it, it God promised us the land, but you know, he kind of screwed us over really because he got us all the way out here and the people are giants. First off, that wasn't true. All the people weren't giants. There was only a few. It was the Anakim, it was the, the sons of Anak was his name. And that family, that group of people, that, those relatives, they were giants. But nowhere else were there giants in the land. But they were going, hey, they're giants. We're like grasshoppers. And, and all the people started crying and they disobeyed God. And you remember what happened? They had to walk 40 years in the wilderness. And it says in, in like Deuteronomy, God was, in the King James Version, God was wroth. He was mad. And he said, only Caleb and Joshua, this generation, are going to live to go into the land. So then Caleb had the joy of going around with a bunch of whiners in the desert for 40 years while they all died off. That was like 200 funerals a day to kill off a million people to let them die off. Can you imagine? I mean, so here they go. I'm sure it wasn't 200 at first, but eventually... As they got older, it just started winding up. And so he's been around all this death. He's been around all this stuff. But as you, as you begin to look at it, you, you start to see something about Caleb. He wasn't victimized by the fact that he grew up a street urchin. He wasn't victimized by the, by the fact that he was around all this death and, and, and all these complainers and all these whiners all the time. He said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So that's what he did. And he said that he brought back a, a report according to his convictions. What were his convictions? Hey, God said he's going to give us this land and he's going to give us this land. I, I, I believe that he's going to do it. I believe what God said. Now, what's so crazy about what God says? He says, 
I've already given you the land is what he actually said. This land is yours. But God said the other 10 spies, you kind of forgot to mention the giants that are on the land, right? It's interesting to me that God tells us all the time, I give you this, I, I promise you this, but it's a warfare. It's a spiritual warfare and sometimes even a physical warfare to actually take God's promises step by step, footstep by footstep, moment by moment. And sometimes some of us, I mean, it's easy just to get tired. It, I, it just is. I look back and wonder at, at the start of Community of Faith started in 2003 in Terry's house uh, and there was just a few of us meeting around saying wouldn't it be cool if we started a church and then we did we started a church in in Goodson Middle School and it was it was a crazy time because we had to you know pack everything in I didn't have any we didn't have any money to start the church I, I see all these churches starting now you know and they've got like a million dollars worth of sound equipment and they have all these things I mean I went to Radio Shack I didn't even know you should go to Guitar Center, you know, I went to Radio Shack and got our sound system and it, it cost me $8,000 and, and set that up. And, and yeah, it was a real winner. And, um, you know, the thing was, God blessed like crazy. We had 180 something people show up the, the very first Sunday because we sent out these newsletters and, and, and uh, you know, brochures about marriage and how you could have a better marriage. And, Almost all of you that showed up, you weren't believers. Not at all. But you helped me. You became the core of the church and you hadn't even come to Christ yet, which was a really interesting church, you know. But um, we would set up all that stuff every week, week by week by week. It would have to get there super early, five o'clock in the morning for some of you, you know, to get started setting things up. It was, it was a lot of work, but it was interesting because God just kept blessing and literally thousands of you, thousands of people in this whole area, some have moved and they're all over the, the nation now, um, came to Christ in Goodson Middle School in those first three years. Hundreds of you were baptized. You know what we baptized? You remember, those of you, some of you have told me about it again recently. I, I bought a little blow-up pool and put it in the courtyard. There's a blow-up pool about that tall. And some of you big guys, I'd kind of have to like stomp on you, you know, to get you under the water because I was trying to, Make sure you got baptized real good because you needed it. And uh, that, that was, it, we did it in the winter. We didn't have any heat in that water. Break the ice and baptize you. Then we moved to Spillane. And we were in Spillane Middle School for a whole week. <laughs> and we grew by 1,500 that week. So that was a weird week. And then they said, you're too big. You can't meet again next week. So they moved us to the Berry Center. And we were in the Berry Center for a while. We saw God do all of these amazing things as literally thousands upon thousands of people came to Christ, stepped into a personal relationship with him, thousands of people baptized, and then 800 families came together of that group and, and we built this place, not this one, but the other building here on this land. Uh, an amazing family gave us the land and we built this for $6 million, what we had. And it was, it was just this crazy time of growth and all that God's doing. And then later, more of you said, let's do this one. And we built 
this. So we've looked back and, and just like Caleb and said, man, there's some amazing things. But right now we're at a place where all of a sudden you look at all of that. We can't even meet in the facilities that we have. And we're like, God, what are you doing? It had to be the same as Caleb feeling like, um, hey, I want this mountain. God, you said, Jesus, you said, I'm going to build my church. You said it. You promised it. You didn't say, Mark, build my church. You said you were going to do it, Jesus. And I, I mean, I, I don't know what you want to do now. What do you want to do now? It's like there's giants stopping us. There's a, there's a giant pandemic that just is saying, hey, ain't going to have no church. You know, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be literally thousands of churches across the United States that just go out of business. But what is he trying to do with us? Why is, why is this happening right now for us, with us? Well, Caleb goes on and he looks around to what God brought him to. He looks at the mountain again and he remembers God's promise to him. He said, God promised me this mountain. This is where I came in and spied out. And he said, when I got back, he said, I'm going to give you the, the land that your feet have trod. And it was right here. I saw the Anakim all those many years ago. 45 years ago, 40 years in the desert, five years of battle to get back to Hebron, to that beautiful mountain. And he says, I want this land that the Lord promised me. I wonder where we are. Do we have that heart that, that Caleb has? Because he said, see, I'm not, I'm not done yet. I'm not finished yet. You know, he's 85. I mean, he should have retired to the, the Mediterranean coast and, and said, hey, I was only, he could have told the story forever. I was only one of the two, you know, that came back and was really faithful to God. And I'm kind of a hero around here. I'm kind of a big shot. He didn't do any of that. He just kept on trucking. He kept on walking with God. God told me something while we were gone. He said, Mark, I need you to see something because it's going to be hard for you to see it. The, the sad truth is that our church, our amazing community of faith has gotten comfortable. Normal as institutions age, like I said, but you know, in the early days, I think if, if God had said, Take that mountain. Oh, the one with the big giants on it? Let's go. We get out our water pistols and I mean, we're, we're going to charge hell with a water pistol. And now it, it's kind of become like, this isn't comfortable. I mean, I don't know. I don't like this right now. I don't like. And God's going like, I didn't ask you to be comfortable. I told you I'm going to found my church and I know what I'm doing. And this is a crucial crucial moment in the life of our church. This moment is a make or break moment for a community of faith. Because see what had happened is the staff had kind of taken over things and was kind of doing everything and everybody could kind of sit back and come and, and just go, wow, that's really exciting. That music's good. God really spoke to me. Oh, it feels great. I'll come back next week and get that again. And God said, uh-uh, that's not what I intended. Remember those of you, when we first started the church, we just kept talking about it. Every member is a minister at Community of Faith. And God only called us as the staff to administer, administrate 
things so that you could be the ministers. And God's saying, that's what I intended and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to set up something different. I'm trying to do something different. I don't want you just to sit and be comfortable. I want you to be the ministers. And so we're beginning to unroll some things that that are going to allow you in your very home to be the minister. As we will deliver some of the curriculum to you, we'll deliver uh, the messages and stuff, but you are the ones that are going to minister to people, make a difference. You're the ones that are going to see your neighbors come into salvation they're going to trust Jesus. Their children are going to come to know Jesus and it's going to be in your home. It's going to be in your workplace. It's going to be in some of the, as we gather in smaller groups. I believe that God has that in mind. I, I don't know that we're going to ever meet in this building again until next year. Maybe not till January. I'm not sure. I'm waiting on God for that. But I believe that God is telling us I want every member to be a minister. And we're going to have these little churches. Do you know, this is not the church, the building. You're the church. And God's trying to do something amazing right now. And we've got to decide, like Caleb, am I going to be available for that? Uh, you know, I've been, I've been a member of Community Faith for 20 years and I've kind of done my... No, it's not going to work. That's not going to happen. Oh, I'm so new. I just came into relationship with God and I. That's perfect. I'm thinking about knowing God. I'd like to know more. Well, great. You can also have something in your house. You know, I'm just saying it's it's all of us as we gather our neighbors and our friends. See, the third thing that Caleb did, he looks ahead to what God might want to do. He says, give me this mountain. He says, my strength for war, I still have it. But what's really interesting, when he talks about it, he says, I'm going to go for this mountain because it may just be that God wants to give this to me. That he's going to enable me to defeat the giants. There's something about Caleb. He had this like reckless abandonment to God. See, some of you are going like, oh, I couldn't be a minister. I, I wouldn't even know the first thing to do. I'd make a fool of myself. God's going like, I'm asking you to be a minister. I, I, God, I, I, it may just be that God's been waiting on this moment for you so that you can see all of those around you that you love so much as you gather in your home as we begin to unroll this and you begin to see what can happen and you begin to have these groups, you can have your family. You might see your grandkids come to Christ. You might see your kids come to Christ because you're there. Maybe it's going to be your neighbor or your boss or your coworker. You're going to see it happen. And it's the time God's been like, I've been waiting for this. This is what I've been waiting for. See, it wouldn't surprise me. If God said, Mark, I, I want you to just hold off. You do these first. Let the people be the ministers. Let them know what this means. Let them know what this looks like. You don't need to meet here right now. You do this. You know, sometimes you can get criticism. Say, oh, you're just afraid or you're this or you're that. 
Look, when we met here, the, the few times that we met, it wasn't a community of faith experience. It was like social distancing. Everybody has a mask. Nobody can hug. Nobody can say hello. It, it was like people spread out. There's two or three hundred spread out all over. Man, what you can have in your home is going to be so much better than that. And God's going, that's the church. What if that exploded? What, what, if, what if you really saw that happen? If you looked and said, give me this mountain. That's, that, that's what I want. I, the, those, those neighbors that I've been talking to, or maybe I haven't at all talked to, but, but it's time. See, none of the other tribes, you, you, you look through Joshua and, and none of the other tribes ever really drove out the Canaanites around them. Joshua 16 says, and the sons of Joseph, Manasseh, Ephraim received their inheritance, but they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer, and they live among them to this day. Joshua 17, the sons of Manasseh did not take possession of these cities because the Canaanites persisted in living in the land. Joshua 17 again says, the sons of Joseph said, the hill country, it's not big enough because there's too many Canaanites. And God had said, I want you to take the land. I want you to move them out and take the land. This land is your land. Take possession of it. But they weren't wholehearted about it. They were just kind of half-hearted about it. God's sovereign. And the Bible says he's looking to and fro over the whole earth to find someone whose heart is completely his. Why? So he can show himself strong on their behalf. Have you ever felt Almighty God show himself strong on your behalf? Have you? Well, you don't do that by sitting in your rocking chair and going, oh, I sure hope God shows himself strong on my behalf. You do it when you're trying to take a mountain with giants on it because it might just be that he's going to give you the ability to win that battle. In fact, he did that for Caleb because it was a promise. Caleb held that promise. You, you got a promise from God? Have you ever gotten a promise from God? You got to hang on to it like crazy. You got to hold on to it with all you got. I, I read this week about a, a, a coach that was helping this little scrawny wrestler. And in Oklahoma, wrestling is a big thing. You know, like, not like WWF where you're like doing these crazy stunts, but real wrestling. Like high, this is high school. And, and this little scrawny wrestler, he would never quit. He just would never quit. And he ended up being undefeated at the end of the season. The coach was stunned because he didn't really have the strength. He didn't really have the ability, but he never would quit. He never would give up. And they got to the championship of the state. And the coach was just so wanting this little guy to, to win, but he was against this like four-time champion that had been for his ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, had been the champion. And Within just a, a, a couple of minutes, the guy had got the little scrawny wrestler all bound up. He was already on his back. Looked like he was about to get pinned and the coach just couldn't look at it. So he just turned his back and walked away because he's waiting to hear, you know, the, 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 the ump go, he's pinned, you know. But then all of a sudden he heard this scream and, and, and every, everything turned around. I mean, all the people were yelling in the stands and, and the little guy, when he turned around, had the other guy upside down and pinned and pinned him. And the coach said, I'm sorry, I missed it. What happened? And, and the little guy goes, hey, I, I, uh, I was just about to get pinned 
and I was so desperate because I didn't want to give up. And then I saw this big toe right in front of my face. And he said, I didn't know if it was legal or not, but I didn't care at that point. So I just reached, I just grabbed, I, I just bit that toe as hard as I could. And he said, it's amazing what you can do when you bite your own toe. Now, here's the thing. Some of you need to grab hold like that old guy did with his toe. You need to grab hold of God's promise and say, I am not letting go of this. This is going to happen. These friends of mine are going to come to Christ. You know what? For some of you, it would never happen if we were here. It wouldn't happen. We baptized 40 people. 40 people that if we had probably been here, they would have not been baptized. Take a look at that. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. God's got this for us. He wants this for us desperately. He wants to do something. He's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. This didn't catch him off guard. He didn't look down and go, oh, yeah, wow. Ooh, that pandemic. Look at that. How'd that get out? How, I mean, what happened? Didn't see that one coming. He showed me while I was out. He said, Mark, I've been waiting for this moment. This is community of faith's moment. And when I say community of faith, I'm not saying Mark and Laura. I'm not saying Wes and Brandy. I, I'm, I'm saying you, community of faith, every member is a minister. I'm going to ask you to make that commitment to say, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do whatever. I'll be wholehearted for you, God. I'll step in to whatever you have for me. And it's going to be a big ask. I'm just going to tell you, I mean, some of you, I need some of you to give like you've never given so that we can get this done. I, I'm going to ask you. I'm asking right now. Give like you've never given. God's blessed you and he wants you to be a blessing in his kingdom. So do that right here, right now at Community of Faith. But it's not so that we can have all these big things going. This is going to be small. This is going to be local. This is going to be like grassroots. Every one of you that God's going to put it on your heart, and I'm praying there's going to be a lot of you, he's going to put it on your heart and he's going to say, I want you to be a minister. And you will be the minister at the church in your house. Community of faith, meeting at your place, at the church, at your business, during lunch. God's going to use you to make an impact, to make a difference. You know, when it comes down to trying to know what God's doing, I want you to just imagine back with me. Imagine Caleb. He's 85, okay? Now he's still a strong old dude. You know, he said, I'm strong as I ever was. Well, that sounds like a little bit of 85 bravado to me, you know? I can say that, but it's not quite true. But here he is. He's got a sword in one hand 
He's got God's promise in the other hand. And he's running up the mountain at the head of all these young bucks behind him. And the big old giants are up there not even realizing what hit him because God is with him. It might just be that God is with us in this moment. I believe he is with all of my heart. I believe he's given me a promise. He's saying, Mark, I will build my church. And when we started Community of Faith, it was with a dream that we would reach the people that are far from him, that are your friends and your family and your neighbors. I was reading this week, and I'll just close with this, about the Nepalese soldiers. Back in World War II, they were fighting um, and the British forces had come over to, to help them. And, you know, from Nepal, I mean, there's not like, you don't think, oh, Nepal's mighty army. But these guys, they didn't know much. They didn't have much equipment, but they were gung-ho. I mean, they were ready. They were going to do whatever it took to fight for what they thought was right. And they were going against Indonesia, some Indonesian forces. And what was interesting was the, the British commander said to them, you know, they're in, the, in an airplane and he said, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, uh, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to teach you how to jump out. Would you be willing to jump out of this airplane and, and become, you know, these guys that, that hit the ground and, and make a difference? And you know what they said to him? Yes, we'll do it. Every one of them. Yes, we'll do it. If you will fly slower and try to stay about 100 feet from the ground and go over swampy land, We'll do it. And the British guy goes, no, you're going to have a parachute. And they said, oh, well, yeah, we'll sure do it. They were going to jump without a parachute. Close your eyes for just a minute. Some of you is going to feel like this. Your heart's beating hard because you know God's already speaking to you. You're a minister. I'm calling you to be a minister. Are you a member are you a attender of community of faith? Then every attender, every one of us is a minister. You're a minister. And you're going, I don't know. I... Some of you are ready like those Nepalese soldiers. I'm jumping. I'm going. Okay. I'm a little more scared of you. Okay. Than the ones that are hesitant. Okay. But I love it. I love it. And here's the thing I want you to do. What I want you to do is I want you to say, God, I'm wholehearted for you. I won't back down. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is pressing forward. Those soldiers at Normandy, every single one of them that charged those beaches that we've seen so many films about, every one of them was scared to death, but they kept going. God's going, charge your beach, take your mountain. It's your family, it's your neighbors. Community of faith, this is gonna change us. It's gonna change you. I'm asking you to step in with all that you are. You're gonna hear some ways to do that in just a second, but I wanna pray for you first, okay? You let me pray for you. <clears throat> Father, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt
that this whole pandemic wasn't something that surprised you. That this whole thing that the government even would say, hey, churches shut down and do all of this stuff, that didn't surprise you. But the thing is, you also, because you promised to build your church, you know that you can't shut down a church. No one can shut down your church. You just have a different direction for us to go with power and faith. God, you know, if, if you said, hey, meet in this building and fill this place up, I would just tell people to get up here and do it. God said to do it and we're going to do it no matter what it costs us, no matter what it feels like, no matter who gets sick, we're doing it because I'm not scared of that. But that's not what you've asked us to do. What you've said is, this is exactly what I want to do. Shut this down for a while and be church, grassroots, right there in your neighborhood, right there in your homes, right there in your place of business. But then God, you're saying, and I want you, and you're calling each of us by name that are listening right now to be the ministers. Some of us are going, oh, well, I'm only 16. How? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You called Jeremiah when he was young like that. You called David when he was young like that. Some of us are going, I'm at 80, 85. Caleb comes to mind. Some of us say, well, I can't speak good. Moses said that very same thing. Look what you did with him. It's not about us. It's about you. God, let us be wholehearted. Please don't let us be lethargic any longer. Let us step in. Let this pandemic time be the greatest spiritual movement in our lifetime. Right here in this area. Let this pandemic time be the greatest moment of our lives. We're tired. We're whiny. We're ready to see something. God, you do what only you can do. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done. Will of God over us. Jesus Christ, you build your church community of faith through us, your ministers. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, community of faith. Listen to these words. You'll find out some things that we can do right away.